Welcome to a very special Fiesta Bowl preview edition of the Boyd Meets World podcast. Thanks to my connects in Pennsylvania, I scored the talents of Josh Littick, a writer and podcast host for Sports Talk Philly and a huge Penn State football fan. Josh was nice enough to come on and give fans a glimpse into the Penn State season. Uh, the Penn State program post-scandal in 2011 and who to watch for in Phoenix and his prediction on the game. Enjoy it. All right, I'm here with Josh Littick, a sports writer for SportsTalkPhilly.com. He's also the host of the Pick Swap Pod, your source for some Sixers talk, if you're ever interested. But today, Josh is here to give Husky fans a primer on the upcoming Fiesta Bowl between UW and his hometown, Penn State Nittany Lions. Josh, thanks so much for coming on. How are we doing today? Doing well, Brandon. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, uh, it's it's kind of a, a far off idea for us to be playing a team like Penn State. So, um, you know, we're used to turning into to college football at about 8 p.m. Eastern at the earliest. So most of the UW fan base hasn't seen a whole lot of Penn State this season. Uh, most folks could tell you about Saquon Barkley, and but outside of that, you know, we really got nothing. So, uh, give us a snapshot on the Penn State season so far. Uh, kind of how the team plays, how the season's gone, all that good stuff. Yeah, well, Penn State, you know, last year was a really big high for this team. And we've seen this team kind of, uh, you know, get better as the years go on. Uh, I've been a fan my entire life. And uh, this has been by far the best period of time that we've had um, as Penn State fans. And last year was an unbelievable season and started off slow, but you know, picked it up on the big winning streak going into the Rose Bowl, and that Rose Bowl loss to USC uh, was a, was a tough one. Um, and but I really think that uh, because of a heartbreaking loss to them, um, you know, kind of took that momentum into this season, and and this season has been kind of the uh, extension of what should have happened to Penn State against USC last year. Penn State had all the uh, possible chances to win against USC, and they probably should have. Um, but, uh, you know, this year was kind of that extension where you had Saquon Barkley was coming off of an incredible performance, probably one of the greatest Rose Bowl performances ever. Um, and you had this offense who uh, didn't really lose a whole lot of people um, he lost a you know a couple wide receivers like Chris Godwin and some other guys, but uh, this team kind of uh, this this year has been that kind of um, you know trying to get back to where they were last year, trying to get back to a chance at the college football playoff. But unfortunately, uh, it just didn't turn out the way that we thought it was going to. Yeah, so Penn State started off what's eight zero heading into the the Ohio State game this season. Mm-hmm. Or, sorry, seven zero. Heading into that game, and then you know that's a game at OSU. Penn State was was ranked higher in that game, but a, certainly a difficult game. But then parlaying that into the Michigan State loss the, the following week, and as we we have both found out this year, you can't lose twice in college football if you want to make it into the playoff. Um, yeah. How how did what were the the, the compares of those two losses? I mean, it was was it kind of the same sort of loss, or um, you know that, that kind of the track meet game and the Ohio State game was that what happened in the Michigan State game as well? Yeah, I mean, I, I think both losses could have been avoided. Um, you know, Penn State had uh, 
you know, a lot of chances to win. And, and, and quite frankly, against Ohio State, they had an 11-point lead going into the final five minutes of the game, and they completely blew it. Um, and I think most of that fact, uh, and I was going to bring it up a little bit later, but I think most of this fact for Penn State is that they really have a hard time um, playing in games where they have big leads at the end of the, or towards the end of the game um, in, in trying to uh, play to win the game and where they're actually trying to where they're you know in the process of playing uh, to not lose. Um, and that's been their kind of big thing. That was that was a problem against USC. They had the lead. Uh, they had chances to win, and they played to not lose. You can't do that, you know, against these tough teams. And against Ohio State, that was a big uh, thing there. They lost 39-38, but they had all the chances in the world to win the game. And against Michigan State, they had the lead, and then they blew it too. But the problem with Michigan State was, and I think the difference between these two games was, that there was actually a rain delay against Michigan State Mm -hmm. where the, the game was delayed for three and a half hours. So right. they were playing at the beginning. Uh, Penn State actually had the momentum in the beginning of the game. And then there was that three-and-a-half-hour layoff where there was no football going on. They were in the locker rooms. I heard most of them were on their phones doing whatever on their phones. <laughs> and, only good stuff. Uh, only good stuff. Only yeah. good stuff. Exactly. Um, and, and, and then it, they lost the game um, and uh, by a field goal, a game-winning field goal. But I think that... The uh, Ohio State loss was probably the worst loss of both of these games because uh, we knew going into the game that Penn State was playing against a team that was had revenge on their minds because of last year's win at Beaver Stadium. Um, and, uh, you know, going against Ohio State was uh, this year. I mean, it was it was a tough it was a tough matchup, but we didn't really know what we had until we saw it in the game. Saquon Barkley was unbelievable. Um, but you know, I think that that loss is probably bigger because going against Michigan state, you know, they, they lost the game, but, uh, you know, if they would have beaten Ohio state the week before that loss against Michigan state wouldn't have looked as bad. Um, and uh, we may have a different story right now, sitting getting ready for the college football playoff. Yeah, I think you could have you could have faced a pretty forgiving college football playoff committee when you give you know you talk about that three and a half hour delay in the game. That's an easy narrative to flip as to to why that game is kind of a throwout game. But yeah, that Ohio State game uh, in conjunction with that is kind of the the backbreaker of the season. Um, mm. it, it kind of feels, from my perspective, as if there were there were two halves of the season, just from a, a far off perspective of you know you had this this kind of of rolling Penn State, Saquon Barkley looks like the clear Heisman favorite, the clear number one mm-hmm. pick in the, over, in the NFL draft upcoming. Um, and he's still a phenomenal player, but it feels like as soon as those losses happened, then the momentum kind of faded there and, and Barkley became kind of an afterthought in the national national conversation. Is that is that about right? Um, I think that Barkley's performance this year has been completely underrated um, because there's been... I honestly think that, you know, the Saquon Barkley that we saw at the beginning of the season and really last year as well um, has been the Saquon Barkley that should have won the Heisman or been considered or or invited to the ceremony at the end of the year. Because uh, you, you look at his stats, his rushing stats don't jump out at you, um, but he his receiving yards and his kick return yards and his all-purpose yards jump out at you. But when they're looking at, as a running back, they're looking at your rushing yards, but they don't tell the whole story because 
they don't they don't tell the the yards don't tell you that Penn State's off offensive line struggled this season um, where defenses went up against them and they completely swarmed the running game. The problem with with this with Saquon Barkley is that this whole situation is that teams go against Penn State this season with the game plan and the mindset that all they need to do is just stop Saquon Barkley. That's been their entire game plan all year. It's been put your entire defensive focus on swarming Saquon, containing him, and then forcing Penn State to you know, relegate their offense to other aspects, passing the ball, um, you know, going back on defense and that kind of stuff. But I think Saquon's uh, running stats have have been diluted because of the fact that you know defenses has have been really putting their entire focus on him, um, which completely breaks down that offensive line and gets the pressure on him. So he's been having to do other dif- mm-hmm. different things in order for him to get his stats in other areas. Yeah, it kind of feels that way. Um, you know, you had the, the, the passing touchdown uh, mi- middle of the season. Obviously, he's a factor in the kickoff mm-hmm. return. So he's just one of those guys that get him the ball, get him involved. On Just having him as one of the 11 guys on the field uh, makes a defense act differently. Uh, so when Penn State's rolling and when, you know, you're, you're thrashing Michigan, you know, you're going Northwestern and whoop a team that's going to end up uh, in a bowl game this season, how does it look? I mean, what does the Penn State offense, um, you know, given it just a, a vanilla defense to play against, how would they like to beat teams? Um, I, I think they like to beat teams where they like to get out early. Um, and last year they were completely uh, considered to be a second half team and they were the best second half team in college football last year. Uh, where they would find themselves in situations where they'd be losing early, and then in the second half they'd completely turn around their game plan and and win the game. This year, I think that um, they kind of changed that in the fact that they would get out early right away. Um, I forget what the game was. I think it was against Indiana, and I was I'm pretty sure I was I was there against Indiana. Uh, they were up 28 nothing. In the first quarter, at the end of the first quarter, they're up 28 nothing against Indiana. Indiana scored 14 points in the second quarter, um, and it was 28-14 at half. And then the final score was 45-14. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Penn State. I think this year was the thing about them. They would get out early right away, uh, and then they would figure out ways to not score for the rest of the game. <laughs> it's like. Like what? What are you guys doing? I mean, it was it was uh, you know their offense got going right away, and then they kind of shut down or or they pull starters out of the game. Like against uh, at the end of the year against Nebraska, they scored 56 points against Nebraska. Uh, let me get the line score up here. 28 28 points in the se- in the second quarter. I think they were up like 42 to 10 or something like or uh, what was it 28 38? Yeah, it was like 40. It was 42 10 at halftime. And then the final score was 56-44 because they uh, James Franklin was like, we're going to pull our starters out of the game uh, and our defense shut down. And I think that losses, wins like that where they're up big and then they end up lose, uh, only winning by you know 12 points, mm-hmm. I think that really does a lot for like a college football playoff committee or the Associated Press where they're looking at it. Well, you know, Penn State only won 56-44 against uh, – four and seven Nebraska team. 
but you know, it, the I think coaching decisions have kind of dictated success in certain areas this year. Yeah, it's kind of a, an interesting problem because you know you're you're splitting hairs about how you win at this point, which is a a very you know elite program problem to have. However, that's that's mm-hmm. a, that's a factor in this. You have to be able to. Uh, to balance the teams that you're supposed to balance and, and hang in the games that you're supposed to be uh, competitive in. I think it's it's kind of one of those things where, where Penn State was maybe a little bit ahead of schedule last year. Um, like that team wasn't as was so, wasn't supposed to be as good as it was. And now heading into this season, you're, you're a national contender when you might not really be ready to do that as a program quite yet. Uh, am, I, am I right on that, that, that the Penn State program was kind of ahead of schedule uh, playing in a Rose Bowl last year and then coming into this year? Yeah, I think last year was a little bit of a surprising year because the way that they started didn't really, you know, seem like they were going to end up anywhere. I mean, they lost to um, they lost to Pitt, who wasn't very good, but Pitt en- actually ended up beating Clemson right. a- later in the year. Uh, they lost probably their worst loss of the season, and I know Michigan was a decent team last year, uh, but they got annihilated by Michigan. I think it was like 42 to 10 or something like that at the big house. Um, and that game was bad. But the problem with that game was that uh, Penn State had a lot of injuries on their defensive front and, and defensive players. Um, and where, you know, that kind of probably made, you know, all the difference in the world. Um, but they got those players back. And last year, you know, the uh, the win against Ohio State and with the blocked field goal um, kind of changed the landscape of the season and they kind of we saw Penn State become that kind of team uh, but are they ahead of schedule you know I I, I think so because you know t- 2011 was a terrible year uh, for the Penn State program because of the Jerry Sandusky scandal and sure. um, the sanctions and all that stuff. And considering the fact that the NCAA almost gave the death penalty to Penn State um, and they were ineligible for two seasons, um, you know, to see them be in the position that they are playing in a, in a New Year's Six Bowl against a, a really good Pac-12 team this year and last year almost winning the Rose Bowl, which in my opinion is the greatest bowl in college football. I love oh, yeah. it so much. Granddaddy um, absolutely. Um, you know, it's unbelievable to see how far they have come since that 2011 season. Because I was there for, I think it was 2012, was the Bill O'Brien's first year. Right. And they finished 8-4. and four, And they actually, if they wouldn't have had sanctions, they probably would have, I think they would have made the, uh, the Big Ten title game that year because of the way that it all finished out they i think it was a tie it's like a three-way tie for first and penn state and ohio state were both uh ineligible for that game so they i think it went to mm-hmm. um i think i forget who played in that one but uh penn state you know they've they've uh, come really far from that and uh you know it's it's really un- unbelievable to see yeah so i I think this segues real well into the next question because you, you've brought up James Franklin's name a couple different times, um, kind of in, in that same vein of, of like, you know, this is a program that, that is dealing with how to win um, in, a, in a, you know, explosive fashion, which is, which is an elite program um, symptom. But what is the James Franklin approval rating? Because it seems to me that that, that hire was well lauded. He was a very real respected guy. He's from Pennsylvania, um, obviously has the program rolling from a wins perspective. Everyone saw how he handled the end of that 
Michigan State win, where or Michigan State loss, I should say, where he grabbed the player, had him come over um, and, mm-hmm. and and congratulate the the Michigan State team. All those things seem to be positives. Um, is it all Happy Valley or ha- happiness in Happy Valley? I should say uh, with with James Franklin, or is there a little bit of frustration with some of the the, the minute details of the program? You know, I think it's fixed or mixed. Sorry. Uh, I think it's mixed because, you know, last year, my approval rating of James Franklin was pretty negative going into the Ohio State game. Actually, the I had a radio show at Kutztown University uh, in uh, Kutztown, PA, uh, where uh, I actually called for the firing of James Franklin before Ohio State because I, I said to myself, you know, they haven't been able they made this hiring, you know, they haven't been able to, uh, you know, win big games. He hasn't had the signature win. And then, you know, a couple of days later, they beat Ohio State in that kind of fashion, and it all changed. I mean, everyone pretty much had this positive thing about James. Um, but the thing about James Franklin is, and this is really interesting, uh, I'm not ex- exactly sure. I, I remember uh, what his record was when uh, he's playing against a ranked team on the road. I think it's like 0-10 or something like that in his career, which is between Vanderbilt and Penn State. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that's a really telling statistic uh, because, you know, you're, you want a coach that can lead that team into those rough con- conditions and be able to win on the road. Um, it not in their own stadium. He's really good at Beaver Stadium, and they're a really good team at Beaver Stadium with that crowd and his uh, mentality and all that stuff. And his recruiting has been unreal, but he hasn't been able to win those big games on the road. Um, and I think as a head coach, you want somebody that does that. Um, but I think the approval rating of, of James Franklin, of Coach Franklin, is 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 pretty positive. But I think there are those people out there that still want somebody who can do it all. Um, and uh, maybe there's those people who still think that he's just part of that rebuilding thing where there's going to be somebody else after him that might come in. But um, I think overall it's been pretty positive. I, I think he's done a great job. And just because, you know, yesterday was national um, uh, letters of intent day. Yep. And early Penn State, day. yeah, early signing day. And Penn State's, like, I think, third or fourth recruiting class in the nation for uh, next season, which is unbelievable. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, he does those things. He's very energetic. Um, he loves to be able to, uh, you know, mix things where he's, you know, he has the band come in and, and play for the team and uh, come into practices. And he goes to other sports and in, in uh, Penn State and, and attends people's sporting events. And he makes himself, you know, he opens his house for Christmas and Thanksgiving for his players. And, um, you know, his energy and his, you know, one game at a time mentality, I think is going to keep stick him around. And I think that's that's the reason why Penn State offered him that extension and, and gave him an extension because they, they see, you know, a future with James Franklin and building this team to an, uh, an eventual national championship kind of mentality. Yeah, I think with with college football programs at the top, you got to ask yourself, do you have a placeholder 
right now as your coach or do you have the guy? And I think mm-hmm. from my perspective, both UW and Penn State have their guy, some guy who's yeah. who's, who's committed, they're, they're, they're long-term, they're not looking elsewhere. Um, you know, Chris Peterson, semi-local to the, to the Seattle area, uh, but James Franklin being from from Pennsylvania, mm. went to East Stroudsburg. Uh, you, yeah. just, you have a guy who, who's in it and also producing, and, and those two things tell you that um, he's there for a while and, and uh, there's the success yeah. there. What, what yeah, and the, I actually... Go ahead, yeah. Oh, uh, sorry. Uh, well, I, I the other thing I like about James Franklin is that he he's a really... He's, he's really incorporated this whole dominate the state kind of thing where he, you know, he's trying to get recruits to come all over Pennsylvania. Um, and the other thing is that he works... He's trying to work together with other state schools where he, you know, he went to East Stroudsburg. He graduated from East Stroudsburg. He, his first head coaching go- job was at Kutztown. Um, and he's kind of ended this whole pipeline thing where it's like going from one school to another and, you know, and, and kind of, you know, joining hands and, and putting those uh, local state schools on the map, the map uh, when he's, you know, the big the head honcho at a big school like Penn State. And I kind of like that being from Pennsylvania and going to a state school um, It kind of, uh, you know, it's really cool that he kind of relates with those kind of people. Yeah, he's he's a man of the people, and and one thing you you know for for folks at home, if you know anything about Pennsylvania geography, is if you get all of Pennsylvania, then you're also tapping into uh, into Ohio. You're ta- you're talking about West Virginia. You're talking about New Jersey yeah. as well. So um, that get some own- really good recruits there. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Yeah, getting getting the state of Pennsylvania opens up a lot of doors to to other neighboring states that kind of. Um, share a lot of the same cultural values that, that Pennsylvania does. So uh, it sounds all, all good. What, what would a win against Washington do um, for, for kind of those naysayers that are looking for, you know, it's not quite on the road. Now you're in, in Glendale, Arizona, rather than, you know, say Columbus, Ohio or East Lansing. But what would a win against Washington do uh, to kind of silence the critics uh, for, for James Franklin? You know, Washington's a great team, um, and they've had a great uh, run. And last year, that you guys were in the uh, college football playoff, and um, well, it didn't end the Barely. way that you we, wanted we it to. Barely, but yeah, Barely, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, but you know, I, I think that a win against Washington this year would really uh, put the cherry on top for a season that you know we wish that it would have turned out a different way. I mean, I, I'm not the only one on record that is you know, said that this team, this Penn State team had the makings of being a national championship contender team. I I didn't think they'd be able to beat like an Alabama, but I think they'd be able to get to the college football playoff. Um, But, you know, I I, I think, you know, Penn State hasn't won a major bowl uh, like this in a long time. I think their last major bowl win uh, in in like a New Year's Six kind of scenario was the uh, Orange Bowl back in, I think it was 04. Five, I think was the last time they won mm-hmm. uh, that. So it's it's been a while since they've won a big game like this. And in the Fiesta, I mean, the Fiesta Bowl is a uh, is a pretty um, respected bowl. I mean, that's it's, it's a big one to be in. And going up against a tough team like Washington and uh, having a second chance against a tough Pac-12 team, uh, I think would really put a lot of um, you know. I, I think it would lift the spirits of a lot of fans, and a lot of critics would be. Uh, happy to see that, especially with the future that we see Penn State going towards. I mean, 
I, I believe that this isn't the end. I, I think that they're, there's, they have a good chance of making a run next year, even if they lose Saquon Barkley or, or, uh, and, and they're going to lose a, a bunch of key seniors on defense and, um, you know, on offense as well. Um, but, you know, I, I think that this would be a great trans If they win this game, uh, it'll be a really good transition for momentum going into next season. Yeah, it, it's kind of funny. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about the answers you're giving and, and kind of how they apply to, to University of Washington perspective. And it's all very similar. Um, you know, we, we consider Penn State to be this this opponent that, you know, it's a lauded program, has had a much better recent history of success than, than Washington has. However, at the end of the day, you're looking at two 10-win programs, um, each kind of in similar position with, with kind of where they want to position themselves good good benchmark for both of these teams to really measure themselves up uh, with national competition. So it's it's going to be a good one. Um, I can close my eyes and tell you exactly how UW can lose a game, right? Like like there's a there's a certain mm-hmm. prescription that that the that the games that we've lost um, kind of in this in this new run of of being an elite team uh, that they all kind of look the same, the Alabama game, the um, the, the the Stanford game, the ASU game. What what is kind of the nightmare scenario for any Penn State game? Uh, you talked a little bit about kind of these comeback scenarios where you you, you start at way ahead and then kind of you know go off the foot of the gas a little bit. Um, what else is kind of the the classic symptoms of a Penn State loss under the James Franklin teams? Um, I don't know. I think there's a lot of different things. Uh, you know, I I think that. Um, they kind of get ahead of themselves a lot of times where at the beginning of the game, you might have a giant kick return for a touchdown by Saquon Barkley or something like that. And Mm -hmm. then, um, you know, that might be the highlight of the game. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the team, (laughs) they get so excited about certain like big plays. Um, and then, uh, eventually, you know, they might break down in other ways. Uh, and, um, you know, I'm not really exactly sure, you know, what other uh, things besides that collapse. Mm-hmm. Uh, they always make that big collapse uh, every once in a while. Um, but, you know, I think that, you know, if they keep the momentum from the beginning of the game um, and they don't think about losing, you can't think about losing the game. You can't be scared to, to play the rest of the game thinking that they ha- the other team has a chance to come back mm-hmm. because, you uh, you're not going to be able to win. I mean, that's what happened to USC. That ha- that's what happened against Ohio State. That's what happened against Michigan State this year. You just can't. You 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 have to get out to an early lead and just don't think about the end of the game. Just think about winning. Just think about keep keeping that that train moving, keeping those those uh, those brakes off and the the uh, the throttle keeping going. Um, yeah. And you'll figure that out. So it sounds like they have to basically do exactly what the Sixers didn't do against Gold State a few weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They yeah. you can't uh you can't be up at halftime and then uh you know by four points and think, "Oh, we're going to beat the Warriors tonight." Right. Or we're going to or or we're, we might this team's, you know, won the championship two of the last 3 years, you know. Uh they're they're definitely going to be able to beat us. You can't think of that. Yeah, uh it's uh it's it's just a complete game type of type of situation. I, I get that mm-hmm. um where you know, you you kind of have this the sensation it's natural anytime you're you're doing anything where you know with with a lead it's it's almost more difficult to protect that when um, you know when the kind of the the natural relaxation sets in so makes sense the the, the prescription against UW and or to beat 
University of Washington football uh, this season has been third downs. When when this offense can't get off the field or this offense can't stay on the field, uh, can't convert a third and four or third and five early in possessions, punt the ball away, give the other team a short field, uh, and get that team gets into third and four, and there's a you know a big receiver on the other end who can kind of move the chains, and that that's kind of been the case. Nikhil Harry was that receiver for for Arizona State. Um, JJ Arcega Whiteside was that receiver for Stanford, where both both of those games looked awfully similar. Uh, throwing a little Bryce Love in there for for the Stanford mm-hmm. game, which scares me about Saquon Barkley, but that's that's a whole different uh, section <laughs> of worrying for me. Um, yeah. Is there anyone? Obviously, Trace McSorley is a, a you know a, a national top tier guy in terms of quarterbacks. Is there anyone that fits that big receiver mold, that kind of chain mover, you know, the human first down, mm-hmm. um, that sort of role that that UW fans should be afraid of? Yeah, I mean. Uh, you mentioned it before coming on, but Mike uh, Mike Gusecki is definitely that guy. Um, he's an unbelievable tight end, and he's been uh, kind of that underdog all year where uh, you know teams don't really think about him, um, and he completely takes advantage of that fact that nope, not many people know about me, so I'm going to you know show him up in the game. Uh, he's a big-body guy. He has incredible hands. Um, the thing about Penn State is, and I think that this is going to be where you know Washington might have trouble against, is that they need to be able to prevent the big play. And and Penn State is incredible at making the big play. You know, a a wheel route for Barkley where he's going out the side and he goes up and receivers don't see him and uh, McSorley throws a bomb to him and he's completely open and he just runs. When when Barkley is out in the open. You can't stop him. I mean, I don't think there's a player that I've seen in, in in a long time be able to to you know track down Barkley once he's out. Like mm-hmm. he he knows how to he knows how to maneuver where he is just gonna keep running and running and running and nobody's gonna stop him. He said once, and I think it was a post game or before a game or an interview or something. He said, "I will not let a cornerback or a safety track me down. It's not happening." Um, and we saw that time after time. So I think that Washington needs to be able to not give up the big play to Penn State because there's other receivers out there that can give uh, that can make a hard time for them. Like uh, you got Deshaun Hamilton, who's uh, the all-time leader in receptions for Penn State. Uh, Juwan Johnson is a tall wide receiver um, that you know has great hands and can jump up for the ball. We saw that against Iowa at the beginning of the year, where they won on the last seconds of the mm-hmm. game. Um, you know, so I, I, I think that Gusecki is a great, um, a great, you know, idea of who, uh, can be that big body kind of player that can, uh, convert third downs and, and, and get back on offense and, and, and try to score, uh, going down the field. I think there's plenty of listeners, uh, who just took a swig of something, knowing that there's multiple tall receivers, uh, to deal with. That's kind of been the, <laughs> the, uh, the, um, the classic killer for the, for the Husky defense this season has been kind of yeah. those big physical receivers. Yeah. The other thing is that um, the two other things. One for is McSorley that he can run with the ball. I mean, uh, that is such a big thing. He he's not if he doesn't have an open wide receiver and he sees an an opening on the ground, he's gonna go for it. McSorley is unbelievable runner and a lot. Of, I think I don't know the exact number of touchdowns he's had on the ground this year. But he has had a lot of chances where he's had he's had games where he's had two or three rushing touchdowns and maybe one passing touchdown for the game. But he can just run. Mm. And the other guy that I think that 
needs to be mentioned. And not many times do you consider the backup quarterback of your team to be a guy that you need to look out for. But Tommy Stevens is an unreal player. He's the backup quarterback of the team, but he also lines up at running back. He also lines up at wide receiver at times. He has great hands. Uh, They might go in the wildcat where they're going to run that kind of play. He can pass the ball really well. Um, he's been the guy that has won in the game once they take McSorley out at the end, but there's times maybe in the second quarter where they might run a fake where McSorley has the ball, tosses it out to Stevens, and Stevens passes it to McSorley for a touchdown or a, a, a big gain. So those are there's a lot of weapons on this offense, and I, I think this offense is going to be the big, big story, If especially you know when Barkley, when defenses limit the amount of times Barkley is running the ball, you got to watch out for McSorley because he's going to figure out how to how to make plays on uh, on way and many different ways. Yeah, Tommy Stevens is a funny uh, ESPN stats page because he is he's a, a threat as a receiver, uh, but he's a quarterback, so his receiving stats don't even show up um, on his stats. So you kind of got to dig mm-hmm. a little bit for for his impact as a player. So yeah, very interesting. Another six five two twenty eight guy that they could throw out there. So. Um, exactly what you probably didn't want to hear as a, as a Husky fan, knowing that there's multiple guys like that who can beat you. I've always saw McSorley as kind of a, a Baker Mayfield light in terms of the way they play, both really passionate, energetic guys, uh, mm-hmm. can make a big play with you know with a deep pass, uh, but also can extend plays with their legs and, and break through for, for big gains on the ground. So um, yeah, lots of weapons on that Penn State offense, and, and it's easy to see why when you have a team that's that talented, um, that you kind of get into those situations where you should be you know, whooping teams and you're up by, by big leads and then uh, yeah. kind of got to kick it into high gear again. For sure. Yeah. Um, so real quick before we get out of here, a couple more things. Um, but who are the guys that, that Washington fans are going to be hearing on defense? You know, another tackle for loss by by X, uh, you know, a, a, a nice nice pass deflection by Y. Um, who are the Penn State defensive players that, that we're going to hear a lot from? Um, I mean, there's a bunch of seniors on this team that they have, uh, you know, have had a great career um, and uh, a lot of guys that you're going to be able to hear a lot from are probably going to be Jason Kabinda. I mean, he's an incredible uh, he's an incredible player. Um, uh, he's you know, he, he plays linebacker and he's a big body kind of guy. Six one two thirty four. He's not the, the biggest guy in the world, but. He has the, you know, he's fast, he's quick, and he's able to get to the quarterback pretty well. They have a great uh, defensive line, you know, Parker Cothran and Curtis Cothran and some other guys. Um, you know, they've had, uh, you know, great defensive line play from Sharif Miller and some other players. And uh, also, they're, uh, this is a guy that uh, you probably have heard of just because, uh, you know, on the defensive side of the ball, he's was he's been he was everywhere in Ohio State game and uh, Grant Haley is a guy that you got to look out for too because he he can always make the big play um, and uh, Marcus Allen as well the uh, the senior safety six two 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 oh seven um, he's going to be out there as well so I mean there's a lot of defensive players that can make big plays um, but you know I, I still think that there's gonna that it's gonna be a pretty high scoring game so I, I I can't I can definitely see Washington figuring out how to beat the defense because they have moments of where they're dominant and then they have moments where they fall apart so I think there's going to be a lot of those times in the game 
Yeah, it's an exciting game for sure. We've talked about kind of the, these are, are very similar programs in ter- terms of the talent level, in terms of the uh, the elite coaching staffs that we have there. Um, and it's a neutral place. So so there's not a whole lot of, yeah. of easy tells as to how this game is going to go. But I'm going to make you predict. Uh, wh- how do you feel like this game's going to go in terms of a stylistic kind of kind of way? And then also, what's your score prediction? Yeah, yeah, I I think that you know Penn State they want to get the most out of Saquon Barkley in this game because I think that this is his last chance to, to prove to the NFL uh, scouts that he is the best running back in this draft class, um, and he's the best running back in the nation. I think he I think he wants to prove that. I'm not going out on a limb saying that he this is going to be his last game as a Penn State Nittany Lion because. Um, there are still people out there who think that he might stay next year, and I, I would love to see that happen. But um, you know, there's also a big contingency that he's going to go pro. But I, I think that the uh, Saquon Barkley, he's going to be able to. I think if the defense um, doesn't, you know, put a lot of pressure on Saquon, I, I think we're going to see a big game from him. But if not, this passing game is going to get going. I see a big, a high-scoring game. Um, important to note about Penn State's offense is that uh, their offensive coordinator all season long, Joe Moorhead, accepted a position at Mississippi State to become their head coach. So he's not going to be the offensive coordinator for this game. So they're going to have Ricky Rain be the uh, call the shots. Yeah, Ricky Rain. It's a great name. Uh, I think he was the quarterbacks coach of um, or wide receivers or something like that of, of this team beforehand. Uh, and he's going to be calling the shots for this team. Uh, but I think that, you know, they're deep. They like we said, all uh, podcast long. They just can't, um, you know, it, it, once they get out to a big lead or or if they at the beginning of the game, if they're winning and they go into halftime and they play the rest of the game, they can't think about losing they just gotta play to win not play to lose or play to not lose right so so oh, what's that prediction ma- yeah what's that magic number there uh you know it's it's tough uh how how many points a game are uh Was- is washington allowing this season on average do you think we're, we're one of the best scoring defenses in the nation um I, I don't know the number off the top of my head but uh we've only given up more than than 20 points twice or three times this whole season uh, okay so it's it's so in the, like the the ten to fourteen range, um, in terms of of points allowed this season. Yeah, um, I'm gonna go. I, I think the defenses are gonna play well. Um, I still think that there's gonna be an offensive uh, battle, but I, I I think it's gonna be a close game. I think it's. I, I'm gonna be the I'll go out on a limb and say that Penn State will be the fourth team to put uh, twenty or more points up against uh, Washington this season, uh, and I'm gonna say twenty seven. I'm going to say 27-24 Penn State, and I'm I I, I I got to go Penn State just because you know that bias there. Yeah, an, another frightening uh, scenario for for Washington is to end a game on a kick. We've had a, an absolute roller coaster in special teams this season, so uh, a three point game probably means that there was a missed kick one or two, one or on on one of the sides there. So um, I can yeah, see and, it happening. Yeah, and Penn State definitely might be that team because Tyler Davis has not been very good kicking the ball on on long field goals this year um has not been very reliable has not been a sam ficken like guy for the for penn state this year um so uh that's gonna be a struggle uh i mean special teams wise they they do pretty well on kick returns and punt returns and that kind of stuff but kicking the ball eh, not so much so uh you you might be right on that one i think 
through all of this talking to you, I've, I've realized that this game is essentially that, that Spider-Man meme where they're two pointing at each other uh, between Penn State and, <laughs> and UW. It's very, very similar teams. You got, um, you know, world-class quarterbacks, world-class running backs, you know, solid, be a good game. solid defenses. It is going to be a great yeah. game. I, I think uh, for all the reasons we've mentioned, um, it's it's something to look forward to. Yeah, they, they did a great job picking this one. I mean, sometimes you think about, uh, you know, bowl games that, you know, other than the four, the, the two that matter, uh, they, sometimes you're like, uh, I don't know if they picked, did the right thing. People would have liked to see a Penn State USC rematch. I think mm-hmm. I was one of those guys that wanted to see that. You know, McSorley Barkley go against Darnold one more time. Um, and uh, but you know, I think at the end of the day, look now now knowing a little more about Washington and about their season from you, uh, I'm starting to think that this game is uh, going to be one of those uh, heavyweight matchups that we uh, that are going to get pretty good ratings on TV this year. Yeah, definitely. It's going to be it's going to be a good barometer for this season and also kind of a, a jumping point for one of these two teams going into to next mm-hmm. season as well. Uh, this is great, Josh. I feel I feel much more enlightened, uh, a little more scared, but that's OK about about the uh, <laughs> about the game next or in a couple weekends here. Um, thanks so much for coming on. You can find Josh at Josh Lytic Talk. Highly recommend his podcast if you're interested about the inner workings of the process and the Philadelphia 76ers. Yeah. Um, thanks for coming on, Josh. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Brandon. Yep, take it easy. Once again, thanks so much to Josh Lytic. You can find Josh at, at Josh Lytic Talk on Twitter if you want to follow a Penn State voice heading into the game. And you can listen to the Pick Swap Pod on SoundCloud, where Josh hosts and talks about the Philadelphia 76ers. We'll see how the Fiesta Bowl pans out, but tune into ESPN on Saturday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern to watch the game. Thanks for listening, and go dogs.